This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. I was just like crying and crying and my eye makeup was getting destroyed. And of course I was thinking like, oh God, I'm going to see friends after this and I'm going to look like a sad raccoon. Um, (laughs) But I guess that's the thing. Like, I guess I like being in control of exactly what kind of sad raccoon I look like. Hey y'all and welcome to Unladylike, the show that finds out what happens when women break the rules. I'm Caroline. I'm Kristen. And today we're talking about makeup, but not exactly in a pretty way. Yeah, we're talking about using makeup as confrontation. And this is an idea that I picked up from the amazing writer and our first guest, R.O. Kwan. So about a year ago, she wrote this piece for The Cut, and she described her signature look. I use an eyeshadow, and it's a, it's NYX's Raven eyeshadow. And I just sort of put what amounts to about a centimeter or sometimes a half centimeter of black eyeshadow under my eyes. And then there's a little bit of eyeliner and then a little bit of mascara, and that's pretty much it. So basically picture a smoky eye sort of in reverse where all of the smudging and color is underneath her eyes rather than on her eyelids. Right. It's kind of an intense look. (laughs) Yeah. So what, though, struck you about it, Caroline? Well, R.O. wrote that she wants to look aggressive. And that really fascinated me, that idea, because when I'm putting on makeup, if I ever bother, it's usually to look like less dead and a little more approachable. Yeah. I mean, it's almost a way of kind of blending in a lot of times, Mm -hmm. whereas Aro's look definitely stands out. And the thing is, feminist conversations around makeup are often so binary in the sense of like, is it good? Is it bad? Are we liberated or are we simply oppressed? (laughs) But R.O. made me think that there might be more to the idea of making our outsides match our insides. Yes. And we've got another guest today who's flexing that power with a pop of color and then some. People want to say, like, oh, isn't it just, I mean, it's just lipstick. And I'm like, if it were just lipstick, why have the fundamental circumstances of my life been altered so drastically by the fact that I now wear it? Jacob Tobiah recently published their memoir, Sissy, A Coming of Gender Story. And as Jacob describes in the book, makeup plays a pretty crucial role in their gender expression, particularly rocking a statement lip. No YouTube makeup tutorials needed for today's episode, Kristen, because we want to know what happens when our cosmetics get confrontational. Like, I always want to talk about, like, makeup and skincare, and people seem to still think that it's not serious to talk about makeup, to care about skincare, that, like, 
really gets on my nerves because it's it's anything that more women than men do is so often deemed unserious. And I just always think about like like Philip Roth was obsessed with baseball. He talked about baseball all the time. No one ever thought he was unserious because he talked about baseball all the fucking time. Amen, Aro Kwan. <laughs> and like Philip Roth, she's also a best-selling author and a serious one at that. Her first novel, The Incendiaries, came out last summer, and it's this story about an evangelical girl who goes off to college and gets a little too close with a group of anti-abortion protesters. Right, and Aro originally adopted her signature eyeshadow look back when she was working on that novel, a process, Kristen, that took 10 years and got to be a little demoralizing at times. At some point, I started measuring my life by Thanksgivings. Because for the first few years, like, people would just at Thanksgivings, they would say, um, you know, how's, how's your writing going? Uh, how's your novel? When do we get to see it on the bookshelves? We're so excited for you. When does it get finished? And then around year five, they started getting nervous. Um, <laughs> oh, no. And then by year seven, it got really bad because they stopped asking me. Um, and they would wait until I'd gotten up from the Thanksgiving table and then they would lean in to my husband and they would ask him <laughs> in like really low voices, like, how's Reese? Is she all right? Like, how's her writing going? And it was as though I were like dying in the next room and they could only talk about me and my, um, and my unfortunate situation in the, in the third person. Aro started questioning herself, like, maybe this novel isn't going to happen for me. Maybe I won't get a book deal. Maybe I shouldn't even get out of bed today to work on it. And I was just really kind of sad in general, but I've been told that I read as being cheerful and happy when I'm out in the world. And I was feeling very sort of um, disoriented by that juxtaposition of how I felt versus how I was reading to people. And so that was when I started wearing um, my eye makeup the way I did because I wanted to communicate in some way that I wasn't in like the best of moods. I I wanted my outside to match my inside. I don't feel like myself without it anymore. So how did you develop that look in particular? Like, was it one day you literally just went into the bathroom and was like, fuck this, I'm putting this on my face in this way? I think because I, I before then, I just used to wear, um, like, some eyeliner and some mascara. And I think I liked the way I looked when uh, when my eyeliner and or mascara would smudge a little and get on my lower lids. I liked the way it was a little messy. Um, and I think that was what led to my trying things out with eyeshadow underneath my eyes. I should say, though, that this is maybe the only way I feel good about looking like a mess. Like, I, um, I'm very conscious of, like, loose threads. I'm very conscious of, like, <laughs> of, like, smudges on my shoes. They just get on my nerves a lot. Um, and I, I tend to fix a loose thread. I tend to, like, do something about that smudge on my shoe as soon as possible. And by that, Aro means that she's kind of a perfectionist when it comes to writing and, well, everything else, including her eye makeup. Exactly. She does touch up throughout the day to make sure that her under eye shadow doesn't get too smudgy. <laughs> but Aro says the perfectionism isn't something she can help. It's kind of how she was raised. I'm Korean, and a lot of Korean Americans are, a lot of parents, um, 
are pretty obsessed with education and specifically with college. Um, for most of my childhood, I really thought that like my entire purpose in life was to go to college, and I like truly did not understand what would happen after college. Like I thought I might just like die, like <laughs> like a like a bug that had like that had like outlived its purpose. You know, like a, <laughs> like a cricket. Um, and I just thought that focusing. On my looks must, I think I, it, I correlated that with a dating life. And I thought, well, I'm not interested in dating anyone until I get to college. Um, so I'm not going to waste time on my appearance. Well, so did your mom, when you were growing up, did your mom wear makeup? And like what kind of beauty routine, if any, did you watch her participate in? Mm, yeah. And my, well, my mother um, was and is really beautiful when she was a girl in Korea and when she was an, a young woman in Korea. She was, like, known for being beautiful. Um, but at the same time, she, even though she cares about, I mean, she cares about her appearance. She I, she never leaves the house without makeup on. Um, but I think she wanted very much to raise me to not think about it, again, at least until I went to college. <laughs> <laughs> Aro started thinking more about her appearance toward the end of high school for two important reasons. One, college was securely in her sights. And two, she left the evangelical church she grew up in. So I grew up very Christian, um, and I truly believed that I was going to live forever and that everyone I knew and loved was going to live forever. When I became agnostic, that meant that my lifespan shrank from eternity to like seventy ish years, maybe. Um, I, I don't like. I like. I find it very difficult to accept that I'm going to die. Let alone that, like, the people I love are also going to die and have died. And so, I think for in some ways, I'm obsessed with skincare because I, I just I I don't like time, and I I I, I want to reject. <laughs> I want to reject its requirements as long as possible for me, but also for like my friends and the people I love. <laughs> In college, she also started taking Accutane, which cleared up the acne she'd struggled with as a teen. And makeup and skincare really started to become part of RO's, like, kind of new ritual and routine. Exactly, because she was hanging out with friends in the dorm, and she started digging into a bunch of the stuff that she'd missed out on as a super studious high schooler. One of my fondest memories of college in general is um, is getting ready with my sweet mates and my and yes. my roommates and my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, right before you go out and you're like playing music and mm-hmm. maybe pre partying with a little bit of alcohol, but you're just like you're like doing makeup together. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of my. I, I loved that. I loved getting ready with my friends, but I was definitely learning from them and um, and imitating them. And I think at some point I realized, and I'm not sure. Realized is a strong word. Um, maybe I'd always known, but I tried to ignore it. I realized that there's no way not to have a physical envelope. That, however, I present myself, even if I'm trying not to present myself in any particular way, um, there people are taking away something from it. And I think I, starting in college and increasingly lately too, um, I've I became interested in choosing how I would present myself and and paying more attention to it instead of like leaving it up to chance, taking more of an active role. Coming up, it's RO and her eyeshadow versus microaggressions. Then activist Jacob Tobiah gives gender a much needed makeover. Stick around.
episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. A friend said that I look like a replicant from Blade Runner, and I was like, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> and then someone else was like, it makes you kind of look like a superhero. And I was like, also awesome. Also would take that. <laughs> We're back with author R.O. Kwan. So did you notice people react to you differently when you started wearing the black eyeshadow? Yeah. Um my mother-in-law was hilarious about it. She was like, why are you doing this? Um, it makes you look sad. And I was like, well, I am sad um, a lot of the time. And so she, like, thought about it, and she tried again. And she was like, well, you know, the, it makes you look tired. And I was like, well, I'm tired, like, basically every day. Like, I'm <laughs> – and I was like, I want to I I present the way I am. Mm-hmm. Well, this leads us to, to something else that you've written. In regard to that, you've written – it's not possible to talk about how I elect to look without mentioning racism. Yeah. Um, when I wrote that, I was I was thinking about just there's so many ways in which I present myself to the world or I move through the world in ways that I, in which I'm trying to counter assumptions about who I am because I'm an Asian woman. For instance, last year, Ara was at a literary festival in Georgia, and she spoke on a panel about her best-selling novel, The Incendiaries. At a book signing after her panel, this white woman comes up and is all like, I bought the book, loved what you had to say. But then as she was leaving, she said, um, you know, you're so adorable. I wish I could adopt you. Mm. And I just... Um, <laughs> and that was that was only one time. And if it were one time, that would be, you know, okay, sure, you know, it's fine. But I think that that's the thing that I think a lot of – I think people, you know, when they hear the word microaggression, um, people don't always understand that microaggressions build up. Um, and to to the person receiving the microaggressions, it, it's it's never the one time. It's it's like the 40th time. It's the 60th time. And I was – and I started comparing notes with my, um, fellow – writers and it, Asian women in particular were saying that they like just ev- almost every Asian woman I know who's a writer said oh yeah like every time I'm at an event someone calls me cute or adorable how did you respond to the woman in that moment oh god i said absolutely nothing i think i smiled at her <laughs> i probably said thank you because i'm i'm i, I it's, it's important to me to be polite it's important it's important to me to be kind um so my instinct would be to say thank you smile and then afterwards feel terrible about myself and wish i'd said something else this is exactly why aro's makeup means so much to her like it's her backup for those microaggression moments when she doesn't feel like she can get her introvert mind to whip back something smart and cutting Kind of her way of fighting back. I refuse to fall into the sort of China doll stereotypes. I'm not going to be quiet and submissive and put up with shit. Like, that's that's not who I want to be, um, at least. And so I'm trying to dress for, for the part that I'd rather play. What is the part you want to play? Mm. I want to be more like the woman I admire. I want to be more like the people I admire um, who speak their minds, who who speak up for things that they believe in. Um, 
to the extent that I have a platform, to the extent that anyone's listening to what I have to say, I feel as though I feel as though I have a real obligation to speak up about things that matter to me. So Aro has been trying to do that more, and that's required kind of her becoming more vulnerable, sharing more of herself, even if it's something as so-called cosmetic as her makeup routine. So like that piece that you read in The Cut, Caroline, that was the first time she'd ever written about her physical appearance publicly. It's just like, I'm writing about my face. This is so weird. I'm a fiction writer. Um, But then afterwards, I got so many like notes and tweets and emails from people especially women um, and non-binary people, telling me how what they do to try to counter assumptions made about them. Um, and so people were telling me about their tattoos. Um, one woman told me that this is why she always wears a leather jacket, that, like, that's her, that's her armor. Um, there were so many different ways in which people are thinking about their appearance and, like, and, like using, using their appearance in a way to help them move through the world and... Yeah, so I I do think of it almost as armor. Armor against what? Armor against armor against the ways the way people see me. You know, increasingly I'm trying to become a person who doesn't give a fuck. Um and that's and that's hard because I, I am like I, I, I think I am a pretty sensitive person, um, and I tend to have a lot of trouble being confrontational. Um but I don't want to be a non confrontational person with my work. And it sounds like in the meantime, you just let your eyeshadow do a little confronting for you, maybe. (laughs) I like that. You know, Kristen, our book writing process also inspired me to change my makeup habits. Oh, yeah? I mean, I didn't go into full-on armor mode, but I did just kind of stop wearing makeup altogether. Like, that is where I ran out of fucks. <laughs> well, and I also think, though, that going bareface can be as confrontational sometimes as wearing makeup more like war paint. Like, yeah, you got to look at the bags under my eyes, y'all. <laughs> Deal with it. But, you know, this also reminds me of when I broke up with a dude who always complained about how much makeup I wore. And in the wake of that breakup, I think I did not leave the house without a statement lip on for like the next three months just as a way to like reclaim my face space (laughs) and also just like a silent fuck you to him. (laughs) Well, Kristen, I think our next guest would not only appreciate your uh, fuck you attitude, but also your bold lip. I'd like to think you're right, Caroline. So with that, let's sit down with Jacob. I am the resident trans mess of Los Angeles, with a few people competing for that title. Jacob Tobiah is a gender nonconforming activist and the face of an inclusive makeup line called Fluid. Could you just describe what your kind of go-to makeup look or your preferred makeup Mm. look is? Um, I mean, one of the beauties of having really nice, robust facial hair is that I grow my own contouring. Um... So, like, I literally just wake up, and I'm like, oh, perfect. I look in the mirror, and I'm like, good job, facial, like, hair follicles. You did it again. Um, you know, and people are like, would you ever get electrolysis? And I'm like, and get rid of my free contour? Absolutely not. Do you know how much I have to spend on fucking, like, shaded foundation? Uh-uh. Um, so I do, like, I do a very light foundation. Like, I, because I'm really oily. I have super oily skin. So all I really use is, like, a powder foundation that kind of doubles as a setting powder and an anti-shine and, like, adds just a little bit of tint and blending. Um, and then, you know, I like to do a little, like, cat eye. Um, although I've been recovering from an eye surgery recently, so I haven't done that in a minute. Um, but, like, we're going to get back. 
So, Caroline, the first time I actually uh, saw an image of Jacob was on the cover of their memoir, Sissy. And it's this gorgeous kind of pop art portrait of them. And they are rocking their signature look. You've got like a fuchsia lip, a five o'clock shadow, pink eyeshadow. I mean, there's a lot of high femme energy going on, and I love it. And we wanted to talk to Jacob for this episode today because, like Aro, Jacob uses makeup as a tool to make their outsides match their insides, albeit their outsides are a little more pink and glittery than Aro Kwan's. <laughs> yes. And in Sissy, they describe how wearing makeup or not has been a part of that coming-of-gender story. I totally used to put my mom's lipstick on in the downstairs bathroom, and I would look at myself for a second, feel impossible, feel immediately like a target, and I'd take it off and, like, throw it in the toilet and flush it so that there would be no evidence that I'd ever done it. As a kid, all I wanted to do was paint my nails, and I got to do it, like, two or three times, and those were such special days. And so for me, you know, makeup and cosmetics of every kind, they are, first and foremost— a way of reconnecting with and honoring my inner child and honoring that I came into this world knowing everything I needed to know about my gender. So uh, I'm imagining, you know, like baby Jacob with like a bold lip and a statement necklace, but I'm probably off base. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about what feminine Mm. meant to you growing up? What did it feel like? Well, it's interesting because... The idea of femininity and the idea of masculinity, like, they weren't very important when I was a child. And there was this beautiful kind of, like, um, Edenic part of my childhood where I could just be and I could just explore the fabrics I wanted to put on my body and explore the ways that I wanted to twirl my hands. You know, like, I, I didn't, I wanted, there were parts of masculinity that I loved, or at least there were parts of things that were later coded as masculine mm. that I loved, right? Like, like I think bugs are really cool, and I was told that's a boy thing at some point, you know? But also had a big interest in, like, tool and, you know, and, and tutus. And then the world kind of came in, and the gender binary came in, and all of a sudden I was like, well, fuck. Like, I don't get to have all the... What do you mean I don't get to have all of this? Why should I have to choose between any of these things? Why should I have to choose between princesses and bugs? And why does everyone want me to only choose bugs? This doesn't make any fucking sense. (laughs) So you... That reminds us of um, someone that you write about in your memoir, uh, Mrs. Bullock. And could you tell us who she is and kind of what she meant for you? So Mrs. Bullock was my next door neighbor. Um, and she was like the mom of my friends Cato and Betsy. Um, and that was, those were her two daughters. And Mrs. Bullock was like that aunt I had who could let me get away with doing everything that my parents weren't comfortable letting me do because she didn't have to live with the consequences. So like I would go to their house to like really queen out and explore the parts of my gender that that were a little too scary for my parents to always feel comfortable with. Like what? Uh, like playing with, I mean, it's simple stuff, like playing with Barbies, like playing dress up exactly how I wanted to. Um, you know, a lot of those things, I would have to wait until my dad was out of the house. But then when I went over to the Bullocks, it was like, well, I'm not, I don't have to worry about my dad coming downstairs. I don't have to worry about my brother, you know, randomly barging into the living room. And some of my fondest memories of like gender creativity and exploration uh, in my life are from, are from that period of time. So did makeup factor in at all to some of the gender creativity that you were able to play around with at the Bullocks? Of course, yeah. I I feel like, 
when I was a kid, I probably played with makeup before I really had good memories. So I don't have a lot of memories of like playing with makeup as a child, but I think it's because by the time I was able to like form memories, I had already learned that that was a step too far. It was just a little too edgy. Even at the age of like four and five, I, I, have, I have such vivid memories of this longing, you know, this like this sense that like this is who I am and what I want to do. This is what I want to explore, but I can't touch it. What are some of your first memories and messages around makeup that you can recall? Mm. I mean, I, I think that most of my early memories around makeup are just around, like, lip gloss from, like, 90s TV shows. <laughs> I remember that the, the faggiest I would let myself get was I would get, like, I would get, like, a fruity flavor lip smackers. And everyone was like, oh, my God, that's so gender transgressive. Like, I couldn't get a lip gloss, but I could get, like, a blueberry-flavored lip smackers or, like, a raspberry-flavored lip smackers. And I would carry that shit around in my fucking cargo shorts and just be like, this is, this is the best it's ever going to get. By the time Jacob got to high school, that gender creativity they'd explored at Mrs. Bullock's house was off limits. You know, so I'd become very accustomed to, like, living without access to self-expression and being like, this isn't something I'd, I get. And then there was this really, really gradual process of undoing that bit by bit. And what it started with was being like, well, at least if I'm going to be a boy, at least I can be a stylish boy. Jacob started going to thrift stores and, and they were really safe spaces for trying out different cuts and colors and fashions, but all the while rationalizing the urge to do so in the first place. You know, when I bought my first pair of high heels, it was because I was learning intellectually about gender, right? Like, I was a cultural anthropologist. I was an ethnographer exploring the realities of contemporary gender in American society, <laughs> right? And this is me, like, at fucking 16. You know, I'm, like, a sophomore in high school. <laughs> I love it. And so I bought high heels kind of under the aegis of, like, I'm exploring this intellectually because I'm smart and then I'm a queen. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Jacob learns a little something about drag. And we learn what gender chill means. Stick around. I did formal drag like twice. And then I was like, uh, yeah, this needs to be full-time. Like, this can't be, this is, this is not an avocation. This is a vocation, bitch. Like, <laughs> like, this is not the side dish. This is the fucking entree. We're back with activist and author Jacob Tobiah. For me, the process just w it was pretty accelerated. The sort of jump from, um, you know, part-time drag queen to, like, full-time trans weirdo was pretty quick. The first year of college, Jacob got roped into emceeing the annual LGBT drag show fundraiser on campus. Because everyone else was like, I'm too busy achieving to host the drag show. <laughs> and I was like, I need that as an excuse to explore this facet. Now, Jacob had done makeup for tons of stage shows in high school, but always as a character. This time, they were in full makeup as themselves. I was getting my face painted for the drag show. And then I just had this moment of, like, looking in the mirror with my face fully painted for real for the first time. And I was just like, oh, damn, I look good. Like, ooh, 
I like I like this. I like how this looks. I like how this feels. I like how I feel in this. And I just I just remember at the end of the show, I just found myself being like, do I have to wipe off my face? I don't know if I really want to. And then from there, like the rest is her story. I mean, you said the timeline was pretty accelerated. Like how long did it take from basically becoming sort of part of your yeah. Routine. Well, so like, okay, so I, uh, the drag show is in November. By like the third week of January, I bought my first tube of lipstick and my first tube of, like my first vial of nail polish, painted my nails, put on my like red fire engine lip and went to the dining hall for, for dinner. And that was the difference, right? It was about, it's the difference between doing it on stage or doing it in nightlife and doing it on a Thursday at dinner. How did it feel on that Thursday at dinner? Um, I mean, I write about it a lot in the book, so if you want the full story, you'll have to purchase <laughs> Sissy, A Coming of Gender Story by Jacob Tobias at your local neighborhood bookseller. Um, but it was scary because it was the first time it was real. Mm. It was just me doing it because I wanted to. And because if people ask me, why are you wearing lipstick? The only answer I could give was not, I'm trying to make a political point, or I have to because it's drag, or this is for the play. There was no excuse anymore. It was just, why are you wearing lipstick? And the answer is, because I want to. What did friends and family say? Well, it was gradual. Like, there were there were little fights here and there. Like, the first time I wore lipstick to the dinner table at home with my parents and my brother, like, you know, my dad was not too pleased. There was another moment where he tried to sort of, like, hide my makeup. And then I found where he tried to hide it. And then I just, in classic Southern passive-aggressive style, just, like, took it and hid it somewhere in my own <laughs> hiding place. And then took it with me and kept it. You know, like, I never said a word to him. I just, like, showed up at, like, at the dinner table in the same lipstick he had tried to hide and just sort of smiled at him, like, hmm, what? <laughs> like, you know. And like, bless the, your heart. <laughs> right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, I did get some scorn from people, and the people I got scorned from were, um, you know, really masculine dudes who just clearly had a lot of trauma around their gender and had been hurt when they were kids around masculinity and were angry at how masculinity had hurt them, and that they took it out on me, right? Because they were like, this thing that hurt me hasn't held you back, so how are you, how are you this free? At this time, though, that you're sporting a bold lip, you're getting looks from the frat guys, like— as your makeup evolved, like how and in what way was your gender identity evolving alongside? Well, I mean, my my conceptual understanding of myself as a non-binary and gender non-conforming person predated my courage to actually express that to the world. Mm-hmm. Like my gender identity came before my gender expression. So by the time I was wearing lipstick, I already knew I was gender non-conforming. So expressing that to the world via makeup came after I understood it already as a truth about myself. So it wasn't like I wore lipstick and then I found my identity. It was like I found my identity and then I figured out finally, eventually, the courage to actually put that into the world. Yeah, I was going to ask about one of my personal favorite Jacobisms, which is uh, you describing yourself as gender chill. and yes. How does arguably not chill makeup, you know, like factor into that concept of gender chill? Well, the thing about gender chill is that it's like it's an aspirational sort of way of approaching the world, right? We should live in a world in which gender expression and gender diversity are chill, you know, and are like can still be high key, but the reception of them is chill, right? Like your gender can Mm. be extra and still be chill. It's also about rejecting the formalism and the emphasis on technical perfection um, in 
makeup and high femme expression, right? Like, I love, like, the idea that, like, you can, that the moment you wear lipstick, you can never have a smeared lip. Like, that if you have, like, a smeared lip, like, everything is over. Like, I hate that shit. I want makeup to feel playful and fun. And it should feel less like getting ready for like, you know, the ball at the Capitol and Hunger Games. And it should feel much more like just putting some shit on to play or play around with as a kid. You know, you're, that everyone thinks that you need to have technical perfection in order for your makeup to be great. When in actuality, everyone just wants you to like fucking go for that glitter that you think is a little too much. Yeah, it's like, I mean, look at how the whole popsicle lip trend. I mean, that's like celebrating imperfection, right? Of like, here's some faded lipstick. Go yeah, for it. I love that. Like, and it's, I feel like that's the thing is it's like, for me, no identity will ever, ever supersede the fact that like, at my heart, I am a trashy Southern <laughs> lady. You know, I am a trashy Southern girl who's hanging out by like, sm- like chain smoking by the dumpster of a Bojangles, like <laughs> slash also like a kinky 1980s grandma. Those are my two identities and I oscillate between them. And I just like, and, and neither of those girls care too much about whether or not their eyeshadow is perfectly blended. They just need there to be a lot of it. So you, you've mentioned uh, lipstick a couple of times, and um, you've also written that as a gender activist, lipstick is one of the most powerful tools I have for creating a more inclusive, shimmering world. Mm. How so? Well, when you are a gender nonconforming person, um, especially if you're like a trans femme, going out into the world looking gender nonconforming takes a lot of courage. Like, it's not easy. Like, I really do think that wearing lipstick out in public or wearing a dress out in public is is symbolically, it's like burning your draft card, you know? It's like refusing to enlist. It's like tearing up your membership card to the country club and saying, fuck this country club. This shit is bullshit on the front lawn, you know? And so when people, when there's violence against gender nonconforming people or trans people, it's because, like, People know that our gender is so radical. Those people know on a core level that, like, we are threatening their way of life. Like, we're threatening the idea that men should have hegemonic power over everybody else. So, regardless of gender, like, there's no one reason to wear makeup or to enjoy makeup. And so I'm curious for you, like, as you look at the pie chart of reasons why you like and enjoy and wear makeup, is there one that outweighs the others? Mm. So I can be inspirational or I can be honest. Which would you prefer? (laughs) Honest. Honest. If we're being honest, it's to look fucking awake. That's the most important reason (laughs) I wear makeup. Bitch, I swear to, like, when I am look, when I feel dead inside, if I just put on a good liquid lip, all of a sudden, everyone Mm -hmm. thinks I have my shit together. They think Mm -hmm. I know what I'm doing. They think I'm an expert in my field. They think that I have something really smart to say because my lip line is good. And thus, I must be well-rested and ready for the day. And I am very rarely ever those things. And so makeup (laughs) is my number one tool to bluff that I have slept enough and that I am not a mess. I love it. It's my it's my armor truly in that way. Caroline, question for you. Mm-hmm. Will our conversations with Aro and Jacob change how you approach your makeup routine? Um, I would say not in general, but after I read a separate Q&A with Aro in the cut about products she can't live without, I did immediately go out and buy the Marc Jacobs eyeliner she suggested. And has it changed your life? Um, 
it's it's a good eyeliner. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how life changing it is. But, you know, to be honest, our conversations with them, I'm not sure that they'll affect my overall routine. You know, like I don't think I'm suddenly going to be doing a bold eye or a bold lip necessarily. But I will tell you that I was putting on eyeliner the other day for the first time. And God help me, who knows how long. And I did ask myself, because of these conversations, what am I even trying to say with this eyeliner? Mm. Like, what am I accomplishing with this eyeliner? Um, What was the answer? The answer was just to try to make my eyes look bigger. That's not some big philosophical, like, (laughs) feminist burn-the-house-down revelation, but it's just I, I like adding to my process the thought of, like, what am I what am I trying to do with this? Well, and you know, this also has me thinking not so much about my own makeup routine, but how I see makeup on other people and mm-hmm. particularly that idea of wearing too much makeup because I feel like it's such a like quick way to just like cut a person down. Yeah. And really invalidate them. But I do think there's very much something to the idea of using makeup as a way not to please Mm -hmm. other people and attract other people's approval, but rather to kind of say fuck you. I love it. I love a fuck you lip. Kristen, I think maybe I'm going to start being inspired by you and Aro. Okay, so instead of a statement lip, should we rebrand it as a fuck you lip? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, fuck you lips for all. (laughs) Okay, we know y'all got to have some makeup thoughts. Please send them our way on social at Unladylike Media or by joining our Facebook group and finding the thread for this episode. You can also email us at hello at unladylike.co. We're gearing up for our next season of episodes, so if you have ideas you want us to cover, send those our way. You can find links to buy the new paperback edition of The Incendiaries by R.O. Kwan and Sissy, A Coming of Gender Story by Jacob Tobiah at unladylike.co. Plus, y'all can sign up for our newsletter to get actually good news about women in the world every Wednesday. Abigail Keel is the senior producer of Unladylike. Nora Ritchie is our associate producer. Gianna Palmer is our story editor. Ash Sanders transcribes our tape. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Mixing, sound design, and additional music is by Casey Holford. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Daisy Rosario. Special thanks to the Women's Audio Mission in San Francisco and Stitcher Studios in L.A. We are your hosts, Kristen Conger and Caroline Irvin. Next week... And the word manifest just makes me want to punch somebody. Ugh, what yeah. about woe-manifest? Is, <laughs> is that a thing people are putting out I've there? I've seen it. Oh I've seen no, it. Have you really? Oh, yeah. I haven't been hate-reading oh, no. the right <laughs> blogs, apparently. We're talking about self-helping ourselves with Kristen and Jalenta from By the Book. Make sure you're subscribed to Unladylike so you don't miss this episode. Find us in Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to pods. And remember, got a problem? Get Unladylike. That was their one sort of big beauty thing. Like, they were just like, stay the hell out of the sun. <laughs> it's like a running joke um, with Korean American friends. Like, all our mothers, um, they often have just, like, random binders in their purses or, like, folders. And they and they have those there because that means that when they're walking around, they can hold it up. And it's a really good, like, sun shield. <laughs> oh, my God. Stitcher. 
I'm standing outside Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. Inside, there are like a trillion objects, and I have to go in there and find 10. So we open a drawer here, and there's Indiana Jones's jacket and Indiana Jones's whip. What is this? Now Prince donated this guitar. <gasps> I'm Asif Manvi, and I am lost at the Smithsonian. Where do I begin? This place is obviously full of fascinating stuff. Fonzie's jacket, right. worn by Henry Winkler on Happy Days. There are 156 million objects in the Smithsonian's collections. Here are Muppets. These aren't just objects. They're pieces of America's self-identity. I'm looking at a, a robe with the name Muhammad Ali. Only 10 episodes, only 10 objects. That's pretty amazing. Lost of the Smithsonian is out now. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.